Today's episode of Talking with TK is presented by The Cabinet House. For affordable excellence in kitchens, bathrooms and wardrobes, head over to www.thecabinethouse.com.au. Guys, welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We're up to episode 61 of the podcast, and we're going to be keeping in that surfing theme. So we've got one of Australia's best and the world's best big wave surfers in Ryan Hipwood. If you haven't checked out Ryan before, definitely jump on his Insta. He's got plenty of videos going around from him in some incredible waves. He's got an incredible story as well in terms of him being on, you know, chasing waves for so many years and growing up back in the Goldie and there's just so much to talk about. In this episode, we'll be talking about his new experience actually on the Big Wave World Tour and just com- competition and forging friendships through that. He'll also be talking about how he balances his life. He's very busy. He's also also a very young father. So just balancing all that's going to be quite interesting. Interesting one was why sometimes big waves aren't always better. So from the words of a big wave surfer, it's going to be very interesting to see Ryan's perspective on that. He's very close mates to one of our previous guests, Mark Matthews. So I'll be checking in just to see his reaction to, you know, what happened to Mark, you know, him becoming a father. And he also had to resuscitate someone on a recent trip as well. So all those different perspectives, how he actually looks at life after all these different experiences. He'll be talking about this and having to deal with you know all the, the different adversity that's come through his life. He's nearly drowned a couple of times as well. So he, he'll be telling us a few different stories. It's not easy being out there in the big wave world, especially being stuck you know, under two or three waves in a row. It's, it's gonna, he's got some really, really interesting stories. So look out for that one. Before we get Ryan on the show, just a big shout out to everyone tuning in today. If it's your first time tuning in, you can subscribe for free. Easiest way is usually by iTunes. It's also on Stitcher or Overcast. If you have an Android, probably the easiest way is to head online, www.talkingwithtk.com. I've got all the episode guides. It's also, there's a player on each episode, so it doesn't matter which one it is. You can just hit that little button and all the sound will come up and all the different interviews. So please head over there. If you want to connect with me on social media, Twitter and Facebook, I'm at Talking with TK. Or you can find my email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Please send through any guest requests or you know suggestions for the show. I'm always open to hearing anything to improve the show or get some great boys and girls to you know share their stories and get them more known and get that story out there. So please get in touch. All right, guys, let's get straight to it. And I introduce Ryan Hipwood. All right, guys, my special guest is Ryan Hipwood. Ryan is one of the world's premier big wave surfers and has also recently started competing on the World Surf League Big Wave Championship. He has quite the story and he's here to tell us more. A welcome to the podcast, Ryan Hipwood. Ryan, welcome, mate. Thanks for having us. Nah, I'm excited. <laughs> should, be, should be awesome. It's two podcast lovers coming together, so I think it's going to be exactly. a good one today, buddy. 
Ryan, tell us a little bit, because you've been just starting on the Big Wave Championship, something a little bit different for yourself. So for the audience out there, can you tell us a little bit about the tour and how that all came about? Yeah, so the Big Wave World Tour is is basically 16 guys. Um, they've got, you know, each event has local wild cards and stuff like that. But it runs under the, the World Surf League banner. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the moment, there's four stops. So there's Porto, Porto Escondido in Mexico. Yep. Um, you've got Mavericks that has just been acquired for uh, for the tour. Then you've got Maui in uh, at Jaws. And uh, you've also got Nazare in Portugal. Have you so, surfed all those four places? Mate, I haven't surfed Nazare. Um, I've been meaning to go there. It's just obviously, you know, living in Australia, it, it is a long way to go. And it's quite fickle too, especially mm. because, you know, we're all about paddling in on the tour. It's not a tow event, so you don't use any sort of jet ski assistance. Um, so to, to get the conditions perfect for that is is quite tricky, just purely because those storms move so close to land sometimes. Um, so but, how, how's the timing with the events? Is it one of those things that you have to drop at, just drop drop everything that you're doing, or is it actually scheduled into the calendar? Mate, my wife hates me because <laughs> we can't plan anything. You know, I uh, I've got a daughter, I've got a family, so mate, I'm at I'm an absolute nightmare. I um, you know, I, I see swells. Obviously, you get a little bit on edge when you see them um, pop up on the maps and. Because I have been doing this for a long time, obviously, you know it. You know, I'm constantly checking weather maps and stuff like that, global weather maps, to uh, to make sure that I'm ready and to give myself enough time to drop everything and basically uh, be ready to go surf the biggest waves in the world. Yeah, what do you? Because when I when I had Mark Matthews on, like even with Mark being injured now, he's constantly on all the web the weather websites and all sorts of things. He's got this quite little system going on. Are you pretty similar in that regard, mate? Um, yeah, actually, I actually took it a bit further. I I got injured a while back and and started to do my commercial uh, chopper license, and the first subject I done was. Uh, met meteorology because i was so interested in in the weather and and how it all worked yeah and uh and so yeah i i uh i, I definitely am pretty addicted to that side of things and it's really cool to be able to you know it, it's it's a really important tool for me to be able to obviously do that because you know the longer i can see these swells out and and obviously see fronts coming in and stuff like that it's uh it gives me a bit of an advantage over the other guys as well you know yeah, that the chopper license is quite interesting. Was that kind of like a childhood dream for you, man? Absolutely not. Um, it was just completely out of left field. I, I got injured, and you know, obviously, yeah, I just can't sit still. And um, <laughs> my friend, my friend actually got me into into it. Um, he's got a helicopter uh, pretty close by um, to where I live, and uh, he was finishing his off, and he's like, you know, come up and check it out, and. He uh, he got me flying a little bit, and uh, it kind of just went from there. But um, you know, obviously, you know, once the, the injury healed up, the sponsors were like, you know, uh, can't have you flying and yeah. and us paying you. So I had to, you know, obviously let it go a bit. But 
no, definitely something that I'd like to go back and finish at some stage for sure. Yeah, how many hours do you actually have to complete to, to do the full license? Mate, I believe it was 50, maybe 50-something 50 hours for a private and 100 and something for a commercial. So how does it work? Does Remember? someone kind of, are they on the joystick, the, joystick, the uh, steering stick, whatever it's called? Are you guys just flying together? How does it work? Well, it's, it all depends on, on your progression too, you know, like um, if you do all your flying in a close, you know, in a close time frame, it's, um, you know, obviously you're going to get quite good pretty quickly, but if you space it out and you do a month here, a month there, you sometimes kind of have to go back to square one or something like that, but it's all depends on the individual, but as a minimum, um, you know, they've got mim- minimum requirements that you need to, to obviously pass that sort of stuff. No, that's, so. an, that's an interesting side hobby, man. But just to take yeah. it back to the championship just quickly, you mentioned that 16 guys are travelling together. Are these 16 guys all fresh to you, or is it kind of familiar faces? Mate, it's... Yeah, the big wave worlds, it's it's a quite... Um, you know, we're all good friends. We're, it's not like... Because there's, there's not a whole lot of people that are, are doing this... Mm. Um, we all know each other, you know, we, you know, we are all friends, but you know, what I am finding out, especially now the tours, um, you know, started and it's, you know, obviously becoming quite big, quite quickly. Mm. There's a hell of a lot of competition happening as well internally that, um, you know, is, it's pretty crazy to think that you can get that competitive within an environment that can kill you. So, um, but yeah, we, we are all friends, and it is a pretty tight niche community, especially within the big wave world. So yeah, is it going to be yeah. telecast at all into Australia? Mate, it's live. Yeah, they've they've got a live webcast through the WSL, um, you know, website and stuff like that. I'm not a hundred percent sure if they're going to partner with any networks in Australia to do it live. Yep. Um, but it's it's always running through the the World Surf League. Uh, websites and stuff like that. Yeah, where right. You can check it out. Ryan, what's kind of the average size of a wave on one of these championships? Mate, they um they won't run in an event unless it's at least forty foot faces. Jesus, which we call we call it twenty feet uh, Hawaiian usually. <laughs> Hawaiians Hawaiians have their own scale of of uh, measuring waves, but um, a rule of thumb for this tour is that they won't look to run an event unless it's 40 feet faces as a minimum and and uh they actually i was on call last week i just pulled out because uh you know there was a swell it looked like it was going to be 40 feet but it wasn't going to be 40 feet all day so they uh it wasn't good enough and they pulled the pin on it so i uh i'm actually a little bit nervous to see how big they actually want to run it in nazare because <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, they want to run it in bigger ways than what they did last time, and last time it was pretty goddamn big for a beach break. Yeah, so. what's the mindset with you boys that, you know, you've got heaps of experience now? In terms of preferred size, you know, you're starting at 20 foot. Do you guys prefer, is it bigger the better? Is it is that how you run it, things? Uh, no, I, I don't believe so. I mean, it, it gets to a point where it's survival, um, hmm. especially when it's paddling in like it's one thing to talk to a big wave surfer that is 
focused on catching the biggest wave they can with jet ski assistance. So towing in um, is what we call it. But I mean, the, the new age generation is we're all about paddling in. You know, we're not using the only thing we use jet skis for is for assistance. If yep. we're, you know, obviously if we're fallen, um, if we're under and something happens, the jet skis are purely there for safety and pickups. Yep. Um, so it does get to a point, to answer your question, it does get to a point where it is too big, where it's like the performance level goes down. We're not catching enough waves because we can't physically get in position quick enough. Um, and and basically the, the waves are just moving too fast or the winds. you got to think, you know, if there's a 10-knot wind and then the waves get above, you know, 50 feet faces, 60 feet faces, you know that the wind, the wind's obviously just magnitude,ed especially even if there isn't any wind. Um, yeah, and we're riding boards that are like ten, up to nearly eleven feet long, four inches thick, and uh, and quite heavy too. So, it's it, they're, they're, those things are really hard to control, especially when you actually get on a wave that size. Yeah, Ryan has in terms of risk tolerance. You know, what are you thirty one, thirty two years old now? 32. Yeah, yeah, 32. You're a young father. And then, you know, one of your mates, obviously in Mark, he's been injured lately. Did Mark getting injured and you becoming a father, did that do anything in terms of the risks that you're prepared to take now compared to Ryan when he was 22? Man, that's a good question. Um, it was really tough. When I, when I first had my child, I'm not going to lie. I was really close to quitting big wave surfing. Like, wow. I, um, the, the same year it was El Nino year. So it was like once every 10 years, uh, once every decade, you get these crazy weather patterns that come together that will basically create huge waves, but really good conditions. So that El Nino year, two years ago is when my daughter was born um so like most fathers um you're pretty caught up in that moment with having a child and and obviously i was really enjoying it yeah but then i was i didn't really get to prepare for that winter so i went in i went into that el nino winter really unprepared and basically we had about 10 or 12 sessions out of jaws that were huge when I say huge, like uh, one of my friends caught one of the biggest paddle waves ever. It was like 65 feet. Um, Jesus. And, you know, so mentally, I got to a point where I'd pushed myself ment- mentally and physically too far yep. and uh, completely fried, you know, my adrenal ga- adrenal glands and just got to a point where I was so mentally screwed that I, uh, I almost had a nervous breakdown and um yeah i was just done i had to come back and you know fortunately i've i've got a really good team of people that i work with and um it took some time though because you know throughout my career definitely have had some testing moments and times Mm. but um that transition especially over the last two years you know from yeah like you said from being a young father to seeing, you know, one of my really good friends go through an injury that basically 
he nearly lost his leg, mm. Mark. And then that same year, I had I had to resuscitate, help resuscitate a friend that basically drowned in front of me um, on a, on a boat in Fiji. He we you know he came back to the boat. My friend picked him up on a ski, and we watched him not come up because he didn't have his flotation device on, oh, wow. and uh, he basically drowned. And uh, and so we had to resuscitate him, bring him back to life, and uh, and then literally two months later, exactly the same thing happened. Um, and this was all this all happened, you know, within a two year period. So I had, you know, I had two people drown in front of me. One of my best friends nearly lose his leg, and Jesus. then and then dealing with being a father and. Uh, so it was a lot to take on, and um, and, and yeah, it, that's just uh, it's just not something that normal people have to deal with. But um, that is a lot to even just take in. Did you did you have to go see a sports psych, which is a normal psych? How did did someone help you in that sort of just getting over those type of events? Yeah, for sure. You know, like I work with um, I work with a bunch of people that are really knowledgeable in that space. Mm. Um, and just know how the brain operates and and obviously having that sort of help you can understand what is happening and um and you know like any that there are steps to to help you get over those sort of battles and and those things that come up but it it takes time and it takes work and it's you know it's it's hard to relate to general people because a lot of people haven't really had to deal with that sort of stuff so um yeah, it, it was crazy. The last two years have been nuts, and and now I feel like I've got myself to a point where I've, you know, I'm uh, I'm performing better than I ever have, and and I'm more confident than I've ever been, and and I'm actually really enjoying it. Um, it was quite hard to kind of enjoy surfing big waves, you know, when you're not in the right headspace. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Guys, just a quick break in today's episode. Last week, we had Big Wave Surfer and also MMA fighter Richie Vass on the show. So here is a quick little preview from our chat with Rich. Yeah, Rich, you know you mentioned you getting in trouble. Well, obviously, that's, what, 10 years ago now. But was yeah. that kind of the point that made or break was going to make or break Richie Vass? Yeah, I really, I, yeah, I think it, it very much was. At the time, I just had a few fights in martial arts, mm. in mixed martial arts, and uh, I'd won them both. Um, I'd been surfing, you know, professionally or big wave surfing professionally for a few years, and things were just starting to like snowball. I just signed a deal with a brand called Jet Pilot, and they, you know, were sort of paying me enough to not really have to work as hard as I was. You know, they were paying me, mm. a, you, know, you know, a few grand a year, which allowed me to sort of travel and, you know, do a bit of work on the side. But I could really focus on on the surfing side of things. So I was really stoked with that. You know, I finally had a brand backing me, you know, oh, to sure. try and follow my, my dreams. And um, and then. Yeah, I was actually up on the Gold Coast because uh, my trainer at the time, Alex Pratt, who also not went from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu into mixed martial arts as yep. well, he was fighting on the Gold Coast. Um, happened to be the same weekend that Mick Fanning was coming home from winning his first world title. I had a bunch of mates on the Gold Coast, Ryan Hoot with all the boys, and um, <laughs> we went out a few beers. Obviously, I was always, yeah, if you have a few beers, I always got to take it to excess and carry mm. on with the goose. And I, um, you know, I guess that small man syndrome, everything I've got to do, 
everything more than everyone else, you know what I mean? That's probably why I got into martial arts, mixed martial arts and surfing big waves. I had that little chip on my shoulder, you yeah. know? So <laughs> it's been a blessing and a curse. But yeah, that night just spiraled out of control. I got into a fight at the pub, um, woke up with a sore head, thought nothing of it. And then a few months later, I was called into the Maroo Police Station, um, not knowing what it was about whatsoever. After work, walked in, said, G'day, my name's Richie Baslick. I heard Officer So and So is looking for me. Uh, yeah, I'm, here I am, what's up? And then straight into a cell, wow. straight into like a five day again, uh, de- deported back to, extradited back to Queensland. So please go back and check out the episode with Rich. If you're really into your surfing, I think you'll like the episodes we had with Mark Matthews, Mark Ocalupo. And next week, we've also got Luke Egan on the show. So stay tuned for that one. Best way so you don't miss a thing is to subscribe for free via iTunes, Stitcher, or Overcast. Or you can find all the episodes at www.talkingwithtk.com. Now back to the show. Ryan, take me back to the origins a little bit. When you were growing up in the Gold Coast, what age yep. did you first pick up the surfboard? So I, um, I've always been around the beach. My, uh, I've always been in, you know, started off as in nippers as a, as a kid. And, uh, and I've got an older brother who, uh, who was really kind of, into that whole surf life-saving scene here in Australia. And uh, and so just being around the beach, I, I kind of – it got to a point where, you know, he was competing as an as obviously an Ironman being older, and, and I just fell in love with surfing. And, you know, once it started, um, probably around the age of eight, I was kind of just like – I knew straight off the bat that that's all I wanted to do. And um, – you know, always live quite close to the beach and you know the gold coast is perfect because you can surf every single day of the year and um you know growing up around such good caliber of, of surfers all the time too it was just like um it was the perfect thing to do for me yeah where was the closest beach to you guys so i grew up around palm beach yep so pretty central gold coast but mm-hmm. uh, my old man's a builder so you know we we're always moving around the Gold Coast in different areas and stuff and, and um, you know, kind of, yeah, I just kind of as a kid got to kind of see a lot of different areas and surf a lot of different spots within the Gold Coast and, and obviously that sort of, um, you know, gets magnified once once you start travelling and getting older and stuff and competing full-time as a junior and stuff like that, so... Yeah. Ryan, who did you kind of come up with? Because I know that, you know, guys like Joel Parkinson, they're from that area. Did you mix in that sort of crowd? Are they a little bit older than you? Those guys are a little bit older than me. Um, but obviously, they set such a high standard, Yeah. Um, you know, for anyone else trying to, you know, be an, an aspiring young professional surf. It was such like, you know, they were, they were put on such a high pedestal because they were so talented and they were such a, you know, it was such a dynamic thing to have three freaks um, come through at, at the same time from the one little area. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone else was just kind of in their shadows. So um, it was great, but it was also pretty hard because, um, yeah, you, you had to do some special stuff to stand out. Um, you know, being from from around here, and in all honesty, I don't feel like I um, I would be where I'm at today if it wasn't for that. And uh, yeah, you definitely 
you definitely had to be in check and and you know obviously i feel like being from the gold coast and, and stuff like that it definitely helped uh you know my career and still does to this day um so yeah, yeah. do you ever even now when you come home and all the boys are home together. Has there ever been a situation where you've just randomly all rocked up at the same time to some random beach and you guys just all put on a show that's probably even better than the actual competitions? Um, are you referring to like uh, like Joel and Mick and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm just all, or, or even any guys or guys that you grew up with. Is there just a randomness that sometimes you don't tell each other and you end up at the same place and... You're oh, just yeah. all just having a, just a mad time, and it's actually better than some of the events that you do? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, when the waves are good, um, it's, yeah, we're, we're all friends, you know. So, you know, I, I it's crazy for me because it's normal for me to go surfing with those guys regularly. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, when the waves are good, you know, obviously to see them in their element and, and to obviously, you know, push them as well, um, yeah, it's, I guess, because I've always been around it, it doesn't feel like anything out of the norm. Mm. But, you know, if you're obviously from the States or something like that and you've seen that, yeah, you'd be uh, you'd be pretty blown away, you know. What's, what's easier in terms of if there is a crossover? Is it easier to go from you surfing these huge waves to then having to just surf, surf average size wave or them surfing just not, you know, middle of the road range? So then maybe testing themselves at the big wave circuit. Like, is there a comparison or crossover effect there at all? I I definitely feel because I, I have, you know, I, I never, I always wanted to make the tour as a, as a kid. Yep. You know, like as a kid, you'd go from being on the junior series to then going on to the qualifying series and then trying to obviously qualify for the, the main tour. But, um, you know, my, my whole situation was obviously a bit different. Um, I was quite good as a junior and I had an opportunity to go on to do the QS yep. or to go free surfing. And, you know, if basically, if you don't make it on the QS, um, within a certain time, I saw so many of my friends lose their sponsorships and basically, you know, be the next big thing to yep. basically nothing. And, uh, I just... I'd been going to Hawaii, you know, since I was 14. I done my first trip there when I was 14, pretty much by myself. Oh, wow. And, um, and so that just opened up my eyes, and, and I knew I loved it, and it was really challenging. And, you know, I just wanted to enjoy my time surfing and, and not have to obviously go into the QS and potentially lose my sponsors. And the sponsors that I had at that time were really happy to support that because, you know, they were getting such a good return on their investment. Um, and, you know, I, I just kind of pushed that sort of side of things as, as a kid. And um, and I feel like that's, you know, obviously where the whole big big wave thing started because um, obviously growing up on the Gold Coast, I didn't really get to uh, surf a whole lot of big waves all the time. But um, if I've always had a theory, if, you, if you're good in small waves... Mm. And you can, you know, obviously mix it with the best of people in those conditions. And, you know, surfing big waves is uh, is not not easy by any means, but you can pick things up very quickly because you've got that skill level. Yeah, Ron, you know, you just spoke about sponsors. The business side of things, 
in terms of back then when you were only young, were you kind of, you and your family pitching people to sponsor you or did they come chasing when they saw you were talented? Back then, the surf industry was quite, you know, it was doing quite well. So, um, you know, if you had any signs of, of talent or you were getting half de- decent results on, on the junior series, um, you know, it wasn't too hard to find sponsors. Um, but then, obviously, the transition between a junior and to obviously making the big time was obviously that that was the hardest time for me with you know sponsorship stuff. You know, I went through a period there where you know I had no sponsorship. I went back to work um, as a carpenter, yeah. and and it was a struggle, you know. So I um, I've definitely had to. I've definitely had to to stick it out. It hasn't been an easy road, um, and the sponsorship stuff is super hard because you know you can you can be getting paid and be on a great wicket, and you know I could win a world title um, and still potentially not be able to get a sponsor over the line. Um, it's just one of those things where it's timing. Um, you know, obviously you got to fit a certain mold of that brand that you're targeting yep. and, um, a lot of things have got to align. So, um, yeah, there's a whole lot of ups and downs, obviously. And I think that's across the board. It's not just surfing. You know, I think, you know, people see, you know, the sponsors on people's boards and stuff like that. But then, you know, a lot of those times there's, there's a lot of sketchy moments with, you know, when contracts are up and budgets are being cut and you know there's um you know you might go missing for like 12 months because yeah. you, you can't travel because you, you you know the the sponsors aren't supporting anyone at that time so um there's definitely a lot of highs and lows and um you know especially for the big wave stuff we don't get paid anywhere near as much as what the top five or ten guys are getting paid on uh the regular tour so um there's definitely testing times and um yeah you just got to stick with it and if you love it then uh you'll just make it happen yeah ron how many different ways is there for you guys to make money so away from the tour where you obviously got prize money and then you've got money from sponsors can then if you guys do your own thing at a, a location chosen by you can you guys shoot a whole heap of content and then sell those on to magazines and TV publications, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Yeah. So a part of a part of most contracts um, for the big wave guys is you're getting paid to promote their brand, mm-hmm. and you know sometimes they'll give you a marketing budget yep. um, to help promote that, and obviously you get paid a salary to live and stuff like that for the sticker placement on the boards as a billboard, so to speak. That's probably the easiest way to relate it to. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's pretty rare that you'll get paid for a one-off um, shoot, okay. so okay. to speak. Like, we, we don't go to Chopu and, and, and say, look, you know, we, it, it's hard to partner up with a, a sponsor because usually you're already working for your sponsor and they kind of expect you to, to do these things anyway for, for paying you that money. It's pretty rare that, you know, you'll get paid extra money from an outside source to promote that brand within that swell or something like that. But, um, yeah, th- there's other ways, obviously, to set it up where, 
you can have your own YouTube channel and, you know, obviously get views from that and stuff. But, um, you know, nine times out of ten, if you're sponsored for, you know, off a brand, they expect you to basically create content mm. and, and obviously, you know, promote that, that company or that brand that you ride for. Special thanks to today's sponsor, The Cabinet House. If you're looking to upgrade your bathroom or kitchen, it could be run down, old, or like I said, looking to upgrade, check out the range at The Cabinet House. They are led by a close personal friend, Rodney Hawken, whose range of styles, quality of work, and service is second to none. So check out their range online now at www.thecabinethouse.com.au. Ron, when was the first time that, was it in a way that you first saw your very first big wave? And if it was, how big was it? And what was your first reactions to seeing waves that size? Mate, the first, uh, the first time I went to Hawaii when I was 14 was when I first got introduced to big waves and, and the power of it. I just remember the first surf I went for, I was just like, Jesus. Like, it wasn't so much a whole lot bigger than what I was used to, but the actual power in the waves over there were just, you know, tenfold compared to what I was used to. And I remember that really stuck out to me. And then, you know, obviously when the waves got huge, it was just kind of, it kind of blew my mind as, as a kid. I was just like, I can't believe waves get this big and this close to the beach. And, um, you know, I, I was there for two months, my first year I went there and, I, I somewhat kind of got used to it, but, uh, you know, there was a couple of moments where, you know, I got caught inside at, um, at huge pipe and, you know, basically thought I was going to die. Like came to the beach nearly in tears because, you know, I, I'd got a, you know, probably only a 10 to 12 foot wave on the scales now, but, you know, back then it was, uh, it felt like, you know, buildings. So, yeah, so what, what happened? Did you get stuck underneath? Um, yeah, so, you know, obviously the worst thing you can do in surfing big waves is panic. And um, I was just way out of my depth and, you know, end up panicking because I got caught inside. And, you know, once you panic, you, your breath hole gets thrown out the window a bit. And, you know, if, you know, looking back at it now, I can just laugh at it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> at the time, you know, I thought, literally, I thought I was going to die. So, so, you know, I saw that, I read somewhere that you, you did some work with a gentleman named Badman. I think he's a master in breath training. Was, was that right? Oh, that... yeah. Yeah, Nam. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, I, I've worked with Nam, um, you know, oh, geez, for probably the last 10 years and um, just really knowledgeable guy, you know, in a lot of different fields. Mm. Um, obviously, started with, with him focusing on the breath hold stuff just purely because I did have, you know, some, some, some really close calls at that time. Um, this was, this was prior, you know, nowadays we've got these inflatable vests that have CO, uh, CO2 canisters okay. um, attached to them. So, you know, they've got a bladder, uh, you know, within a wetsuit pretty much, and you pull the, the taggles on it and it pierces the CO2. CO2 canisters, yep. which inflates the bladder, which helps you come to the surface. Mm-hmm. But the problem was is that, you know, because I've been doing this for quite a, quite some time, um, we didn't always have that. that. That's only probably, you know, five years. And, you know, it's only been out for like five, 
maybe six years max. Um, How quickly does it bring you to the surface? Well, the ones these days are quite good, you know, like um, you'd drown without them for sure. Uh, Surfing jaws, if you didn't have these inflatables, yeah, you would be in all sorts of trouble. Um, But they they definitely do bring you up quite quickly. Um, But they've got a dump valve on them. So if the pressure gets too much, they'll empty themselves. So you have to pull it again, Um, you know, I, in the last event at Jaws, I actually went through four air canisters uh, within, two, like, one wipeout, but I, I caught about three consecutive waves, um, one after each other, and basically had to pull um, a CO2 canister for each one, which yeah. is, like, unheard of. You usually only pull one, and then you'll come up and stuff like that, but the pressure was so big that it basically deflated the, the bladder, um, you know, four times. So, yeah. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. Ron, what's your mindset, especially when you can't, you know, you just spoke about, you know, those three canisters, and obviously you're in a, a fair bit of trouble there in those three areas. In terms of you being calm and trying to get out of the situation, is there different things that you have to think about, like in terms of your positive mindset, et cetera, et cetera? Well, being positive that's not even a question for me anymore. It's like, that's the first thing you, you, you basically teach yourself is that if I panic, I'm dead. Yep. There's no two ways about it. Like, and I feel like because I've been in these situations a lot, it's not even something that crosses my mind. You know, like I fall off. I know that I know what's going on. I've put myself in this position and the only way I can survive it is if I relax and I don't panic and I trust the work that I've put in to get me out of it. And that's, you know, obviously the training, the preparation that I've put myself through and, and all the other stuff that um, that basically will help you survive. And, yeah, I mean, rule number one, if, if you panic um, or you even have one slight bit of you know, doubt in your mind that you're not going to survive the wipeout. Yep. Yeah, it, it's, it, man, it's bad. Like you, <laughs> I can only imagine, Jesus. Yeah, because, I mean, it's it, it becomes bad because you know as soon as that thought hits you, hits your mind, you're already in a state of panic. So, yeah, it's not good. But, I mean, you definitely just have to ride the process out and know that, if you do panic, I already know what's going to happen if I panic. So I, I don't panic. It's not just something that I don't do. Um, and then, you know, rely. You, you have to rely a bit on your equipment to get you up as well. Yeah. I mean, I know that it doesn't sound that great, but you know, the, these these bladders, these um, you know, inflatable vests do work. And if you don't have them, you there's a pretty good chance you're going to drown or come close to it. But um, I definitely prepare for the worst. And uh, and I know that I could handle a, you know, a worst-case scenario, which is a two-wave hold-down without the best. Um, but, you know, any human would be close to drowning um, at that point. Yeah, Ryan, is there any places or facilities that you can kind of simulate it or try to mimic in a certain regards to what you experience out there? 
Um, I try to mimic it as much as I can. Um, you know, I've worked with Nam a lot on different situations on on how to implement that sort of stuff. And you know, I've I train with a few friends here and and uh, and stuff like that where we go through different drills that kind of simulate what what it's like. But in all honesty, it's very hard to to simulate a Jaws wipeout. Mm. Um, but you can definitely try. I mean, you can definitely try to, to make it realistic. Um, but, yeah, usually it's it's worse yeah. <laughs> than, what, you know, than swimming in a pool and, and <laughs> pushing yourself as much as you can. Yeah. So. Ryan, when you were younger, like, you know, obviously you see the size of these waves. I'm sure that there was some doubt and fear that came across you. How long did it take for you not to be afraid anymore? Um, look, I feel like, I feel like you're always going to have, you're always going to, for me, I, I'm not going to say that I don't get scared and that you don't get afraid because, uh, I feel like your body and your mind needs that to, to keep you alive. Um, I feel like where things started turning for the better for me was when, I just realized what these signals were and how it works and, and why they're there. Um, and then obviously believing in yourself enough that it's going to be fine if something does, you know, does go bad, which, you know, it usually does, you know, yeah, it's pretty rare that you go out to surf big waves and everything's perfect. So, um, but once you've done the work and the preparation and everything's in, in a line, you, your boards are great, you're wearing the best inflatable vest, you've got a backup in case those inflatable vests don't work, like flotation, so you know if you black out, you are going to come up at some point. You've got someone on surface that you know that is going to be able to resuscitate you if you do drown. Yeah. Um, you've got backups where, you know, they can fly you into the beach and there's a car there that can take you to a hospital or call for a chopper or something like that. Um, if you tick all those little boxes and you, and the easy, then there's, there's just the easiest part, which is actually going out and enjoying the moment and surfing. Yeah. And I feel like if you don't enjoy that moment, um, which I, I went through a stage where I didn't because, you know, I let the fear override the enjoyment that I had and then you know it's just a really bad cycle to be in you start to uh doubt yourself the confidence goes and then once the confidence goes it's uh you know it's so hard to get it back so I feel like if you if you prepare enough and you you do all the little things right and then all you have to do is go out and surf and enjoy it then it's it's easy yeah you've got you, you can't do any more than that. And, uh, and yeah, that, the biggest thing for me is just to not have to prove myself to anyone yep. and just to enjoy it. Because if you're, if you're trying to prove a point to someone or you're trying to, you're trying to get the biggest way over the day because you need a, you need a raise and your sponsors have been riding you cause you haven't done much or, you know, that's when shit goes bad. And, uh, and for me, I stripped everything back and just said, why, why the fuck do I surf big waves? And, and the reason is, is because, 
that's my identity. It's what I do. I love it. And, uh, and it's not for any other reason. Yeah, Mark said something very, very similar. So it's, it's quite interesting that you've got the same mindset in that area. Next, I wanted to ask you, you know, when you're on the wave there, Ryan, like, you know, you just talked about enjoying the wave. When you're on it, are you looking to, do you know you're enjoying it when you're not thinking about anything? Pretty much your mind is just clear and you just got a smile on your face? Yeah, for me, it's just like, I know that I'm in the moment when everything I do works. Like, even if I wipe out, I'm enjoying that too. Like, oh my God, like, that was heavy, but let's get another one, you know? Like, that's when you're in a mindset of the, the now because, you know, everything you're doing, you know, you're not worrying about a too big a wave coming or you're not worried about who's hassling you, like, hassling, hassling you for a wave or something like that. Yeah. It just feels like nothing can really get in the way of that moment of, of you enjoying, you know, your time in the water and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, if things aren't right for me these days, like, I literally won't go, you know, if I've got, if I don't think my board is the right board for the, you know, for that time or, you know, if, if I'm, things aren't right at home or something like that, I've learned that it's not even worth going for a swell or to risk it because um, I know I'm not going to enjoy it. Yeah. And I know if I'm not enjoying it, the performance is going to suck. Ryan, when you wipe out, whose responsibility is it to get you bored? Any wipeout for me, you're responsible for everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like I don't rely on anyone to pick me up. Like, I, obviously, I have people or a team put in place where, you know, I, you know they're there to do that. Yeah. But feel like if you can't survive that by yourself you shouldn't be there mm-hmm. um but yeah to answer your question like in a in layman's terms if you lose your board we have skis that will pick us up and then we'll retrieve the board or you know for jaws for instance we have leg ropes that would probably be about five times the thickness of what your regular leg rope would be that you'd use at the beach. Okay. Maybe six, six times thicker. Um, and, you know, they've got a system where you can pull a tab where it will quick release in case you get jagged on something or you need to get rid of your board or something like that, you know. So, um, yeah, that that the sport has definitely evolved and the equipment's gotten better and better. Um, and that's why the performance levels are obviously going through the roof at, you know, at waves that are so much bigger than everywhere else too. Guys, just another little break in today's episode. I just wanted to bring you a preview of our next show, and that's going to be with one of Australia's best in Luke Egan. So the surfing theme continues, but I'm really glad to bring Luke's story to you guys. So here's a little quick preview of the show. You know, uh, my runner-up year against uh, Sonny Garcia... I was I had a lot of points to make up, and um, and Sunny kind of had a big lead on me the whole time. So I never really got that close that it felt like it was mine to lose. Yeah, you guys didn't really surf against each other at all. No, we were number one and number two seed for pretty much half the back end of the year or three quarters of the year, but. I could never gain on Sunny because I'd make the quarters, he'd make the semis. I'd make the semis, he'd make the quarters. So. 
I needed him to lose in the first round and win an event. I think I had to do that and then maybe that halfway again to actually be there right with him on the points. Yeah. So even though finishing runner-up in the world, it didn't feel like it was mine to lose, so it didn't really affect me too much. Do I wish I won a world title in my career? Absolutely. And do I think about it time to time? Absolutely. But during that time of going through through it, it just never felt like mine to lose. It was it was uh, sorry, Sonny's to lose, and and I had a couple of results to get before it was like, okay, I'm I'm taking you on for this. Yeah. The year against uh, the year against Andy Irons actually hurt a little more because we're a little closer. Yeah. I got it to the second last event of the year and. Um, I actually finished third that year because uh, Joel Parkinson had to make the semi-finals at the Pipeline Masters to pass me because yep. I lost early, and he did. So I was second to Andy Irons for his first world title the whole year. And um, I had a couple of opportunities. I got a little closer than what I did to Sonny Garcia when I So please, if you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or on Overcast. You can find it all online at www tk.com Please help me share share the show with a family or friend member that you might think would enjoy the episode. That's the best way that you can help me continue to grow the show, as well as if you've got access to iTunes. If you could leave me a review, that would be most appreciated. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Yeah, Ryan, I watched a video on YouTube the other day about you speaking about, as an adult this time, one of the scariest moments of your life was in WA. I think they call the wave the right. If, yep. I'm, if I'm right, can you take us through that story and that effect on your life? Yeah, um, so that was, uh, when was that? That was a while ago now. That was before people started wearing these inflatable vests. And um, at that time, you know, I'd come home from Hawaii and, you know, paddle surfing had basically started again where it was a big thing where guys were only using boards and paddling in and stuff like that um for me living in australia you know i wanted to continue chasing big waves within australia when i came home from you know chasing swells over in hawaii and stuff during their winter yeah um and that's you know where me and mark and um you know richie vass and all that basically teamed up and we just started hunting waves in australia and finding waves in australia that no one else really wanted to surf and um and that, the reason why they didn't want to surf them is because a lot of people thought they were unsurfable um you know really close to rocks um they call them slabs because it goes from super deep water to basically dry reef and um and you have to use a jet ski to surf these you know these sort of waves um the the thing about it was though is that because it was so new um we were kind of like we didn't really know what we we're getting ourselves into and mm. um so we we're surfing these waves and it was everything was new and we we're kind of experimenting with it and you know we we're finding out quite quickly how heavy these these waves were particularly the one in western australia called the right um you know, we had no proper inflation. Like, I think the first time I surfed it, I didn't even have any sort of um, flotation on. And, um, you know, so 
well, quickly finding out, like, pushing the limits in these slab ways, you know, some of the wipeouts and some of the injuries and stuff that occurred were, were quite, you know, quite crazy. It was like, um, I look back at it now and I, you know, I just wouldn't do that sort of stuff again. Like, I wouldn't surf a place like Shipstern's, you know, when it's 20 feet at 19 seconds because yeah. it's just unsurfable. Um, or it's just, it's not worth it. The risk versus reward doesn't make sense. So that that particular session at the right, I was just, uh, I wanted to, obviously, I wanted to push things a bit more and, and really try to get deep in the barrel. And um, the wave just shut down. And um, I went over the falls. So the wave obviously sucked me back down. Yep. Um, we call it over the falls because it's like going in a waterfall over the wave and, and it pushes you straight to the bottom. How deep um, was it? So the bottom, I believe, would be about 12 to 15 to 15 metres deep. Jesus. Um, yeah, so I went deep real quick. Like um, I do a lot of uh, spear fishing and, and, you know, free diving and stuff. And yep. I knew that I was deep because my – I felt like my eardrums nearly burst because I didn't get a chance to equalize. Um, and I was basically pinned on the bottom and, um, and I just remember getting up off my feet, uh, off my hands because I was in a weird position on the bottom and I stood up and the wave literally, the, uh, the, the force on the water actually threw me off the back ledge. And because it's so shallow, it goes from shallow to deep water really quickly. And so uh, what happens out there is that it gets like a turbulence balls underwater that basically can kind of like, if you get stuck in them, they can, they can keep dropping you down deeper and deeper. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as I got pushed off the back ledge, like the back of the reef, um, I didn't realize that I was stuck in these balls where I just wasn't going anywhere and it kept dropping down and down. Um, further, like almost like turbulence in the air, but in the water, Fuck. and um, and then I knew I was in trouble because I was probably, I reckon I was at least you know nearly twenty five to thirty something meters deep, um, and I knew that there was a long time to the surface, and uh, I was worried at this point. I was worried about the second wave, and I, I actually heard, I actually later on, obviously when I was at the bottom. Um, you know, I knew I was deep because of the, the pressure and when you're that deep, everything's dark, you know, the volume of water's thick because you can feel it on your face. Yeah. And so I started kicking to the surface and I actually had to stop because I knew that if I kept kicking too hard, I'd lose energy. So I just basically, you know, sat there for, you know, it felt like an eternity, but it's probably only like 10 seconds. But, um, yeah, this stage it was getting getting on and I was starting to run out of air. So I kept kicking and I, those turbulence balls actually started shooting me to the surface. Um, you know, instead of pushing me down, I actually started, you know, getting momentum when I was hitting them. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I think from looking back at the footage, there was another swell line that ran over me. Okay. But that, I think that gave me momentum to get to the surface a bit quicker. But um, at this stage... The, I was getting uh, contractions in the stomach and, you know, I I knew that I was getting close to blacking out because I was sucking in water 
without subconsciously trying to do it. It was my body basically kicked in and was is trying to suck in air. But what was happening is it was obviously sucking in water. So I had to like I was putting my hands over my mouth to try to stop that and Oh my god. Um, it got to a point where I think I was like five or six feet from the surface and I started to black out and I got to the surface and uh, my mate was on a ski and he nearly ran me over because he was looking for me for so long. Were they and, freaking uh, out when they couldn't find you? Yeah, yeah, they, they were tripping because I just they just said, we didn't know where you went, like you just disappeared. And they initially they went all the way on the inside and and then, you know, I actually fell off further out the back than what I did when I initially fell at the start. So it was pretty trippy. Um, and then, you know, after that, there was other people that obviously a lot of other people started surfing it and, and then quite quick, uh, quite quickly they realized that, yeah, it was, uh, it's one of the heaviest ways in the world and, and uh, you can get some really long hold down. So, yeah. Wow. When you got back, when you got back to the shore, Ryan, did you kiss the ground? Like, were you really, really mindful that you nearly just drowned and died? Um, yeah, I, I was pretty rattled to be honest. Like, I was like, I knew that it was a really close one, um, and I hadn't been um, in that position before, like to that point. And I was like, I, in all honesty, I don't think a whole lot of people have. Um, you know, I know that Shane Dorian who invented these vests, um, he basically said that he was going to quit surfing because he's got a family as well and it wasn't worth his, it wasn't worth risking his life, uh, to surf big waves without the proper safety. And, and that's why he came up with these, you know, this prototype, you know, five years ago. And, um, and I remember having a conversation with him and he's like, yeah, you know, obviously he knew that I'd been through that wipeout and that close call. And, and so, yeah, um, nowadays you wouldn't see anyone out there without these vests on and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely amazing stories, man. We're yeah. going <laughs> to finish off a little bit more light-noted uh, light and a few personality questions. Ryan, out of everywhere that you've surfed, what is your favorite location? Oh, um Big waves or just any type of waves? Either or, mate. I'd, I'd say Cloudbreak in Fiji would have to be my all-time favourite surf destination, location and wave. Are you kind of just looking for a whole package in terms of not just what you can do in the water but also the environment once you come out as well? Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. I, it's got everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's you can take a family there, you can... You know, it's got great spear fishing, fishing, and the waves. Cloud breaks one of the best waves in the world. Yeah. All right. Next question, Ryan. You see your house on fire now. Your family and friends are all fine. They're on the outside with you. You get to save one item. What item would you save? <laughs> uh, probably my passport, so I can still travel. <laughs> So you can still get in trouble with your missus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan, exactly. next one. I'm going to take you back to your childhood. What posters did you have on your bedroom wall growing up? Uh, I had an auntie that was a really good artist, and she she done a mural on my wall, and uh, 
And then I think I had like a bunch of different surfing ones over that, just like a typical, you know, frothed out surf kid. I just, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, nice. I can't remember exactly, but <laughs> I know there was a lot of surf stuff on the wall. <laughs> All right, final question, Ryan. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone, dead or alive. Who would you like to invite? Oh, it'd have to be Conor McGregor, for sure. Is he your guy? Um, oh, he's hilarious. The guy's so entertaining, um, for sure. I'd say him. Are you going to go to UFC Perth? Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, I'll be there. It's a good card, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I can't wait. I, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Um, who, who have you got? Rockhold? Rockhold or... Rob. Oh, I've got to go for Rob. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Your manager uh, would kill you if you didn't go for Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, yeah, I'd like to see him win for sure. I think it's for, I think for Rob, I think it's the worst matchup in the division for him because of size-wise. But if he's going to prove that he's a champion, he's got to yeah. beat the best, and Rockhold's the best. So, and given yeah. seeing the pedigree of guys that he has fought, he's more than a fifty-fifty chance to beat Luke Rockhold. Yeah, I, yeah, and nothing against Rocco, but I feel like his last fight wasn't definitely wasn't anywhere near his best. So, and he must like struggle to make weight. He's a big guy, yeah. He's I, six um, foot three. What do you reckon he walks around at? Well, they fight at what one? What is it? One eighty-five? One ninety? I thought it was one eighty-five. Yeah, one eighty-five. I heard he walks in the two hundreds. You'd have to. He's a unit. He is. He's Huge. massive. You'd probably think maybe even two ten. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's a big guy. I um, I know Mick Fanning's good friends with him, and and I've seen him before, and I was kind of, I was like, Jesus Christ, the guy must just starve himself for a week before they have to weigh in. Yeah, well, Rob's not small either. He's two oh five when he walks, and he used to fight a division down, so one seventy. So you can only imagine how big he was there. But he seems to just go strength for strength, not having to cut so much weight. He's his last two years have been brilliant. Yeah, he comes in looking like pretty fresh. Like it doesn't look like it's hard that hard for some reason for him to to get to that weight. But um, yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting one for sure. I, I um, yeah, I, I've, it's crazy. Like I used to, um, I'm good friends with Richie Vass, and yeah, and I I used to see him cut weight. Um, you know, and I just could not believe how much weight he had to cut you know like from what he used to walk around at and then and the process that he had to go through to get to that weight and then back it up and have to fight after that i was just like wow it's almost it's torture for your body i can't <laughs> see it being that great for you you know actually right i've got i've got richie i'm meeting up with richie on saturday and we're going to do it at the gym we're going to do a podcast at the gym so oh, epic. if you think of anything between now and saturday that you think yeah. just out of left field text it through to me um yeah ask yeah okay i'll text it through yeah for sure I, I mean i've been through some interesting stuff with richie ask him ask him about the time we we stole the red bull jet ski while to go surf ship sterns and we end up sucking the rope up and nearly losing a brand new sk- red bull ski <laughs> on the rocks <laughs> i'll definitely throw that in straight away yeah <laughs> Well, Ryan, I really appreciate you joining me today. Before I let you go, everyone get following Ryan online. You can catch him at www.ryanhipwood.com. Facebook is Ryan Hipwood one Instagram and Twitter, Ryan Hitwood. 
and he's actually just recently also joined 24.com where he gives you inside access to all his ins and outs with his training. So I definitely recommend you give Ryan a follow on that as well. Ryan, my man, thanks so much for your time today, man. I've really loved all the different stories. It's just so intriguing. And like I said to you before we even connected, just the whole intriguing thing with big wave surfers, it's just something that I've always just resonated with and just love all your stories. Yeah, no, thanks for hearing me out. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the stories. And yeah, um, it was fun. Guys, we really hope you enjoyed the episode with Ryan Hipwood. If you did, please share it with your family and friends and let them know of what I'm doing over here at Talking With TK. I'd really appreciate the support. Next week, as mentioned during the show, Luke Egan's going to be on there, but we've got plenty of huge episodes ahead. So if you haven't yet, like I've always said, subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Overcast, or find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. And if you want to connect with me, please find me on social media, Twitter or Facebook, I'm at Tristan Cannell, Tristan Cannell also on my personal page, or you'll find my Instagram handle at Tristan Nell. All right, guys, I really enjoyed bringing Ryan's story to you, so stay tuned for Luke's next week, but please get in contact in the meantime, stay safe, and we'll chat next week.